on Boxing Day. Actually, I just realized, is Boxing Day even a thing here? Yes. No, it is. Okay. Or <laughs> in Canada, Boxing Day is a day where you go shopping, kind of like Black Friday. But on, on Boxing Day, we spent an evening with some new friends here in town. We enjoyed a day of board games and Christmas treats and apple cider and a, a, a frozen pizza dinner together. And it was fun. Uh, during the course of the dinner, we found ourselves delighted by their pet dog, Coco. Here's a picture of And uh, she, as we're told by them, was a slightly neurotic uh, personality. Uh, she had attachment issues, apparently, uh, because she was given up by her original owners when she was just six months old when they moved to New York. And so they left uh, this family, adopted them, uh, adopted her. And so she, they said she had attachment issues because when she was asked to go and deal with her business outside, she would be in the room and she'd turn her head away and pretend not to have heard them. And when they, the family decided that they were going to be going out for the day, that's when she would take care of her business in the house on the nicest carpet in the house. And they knew that she knew that that wasn't what she was supposed to do because as soon as she did that, she would run and hide under a cabinet and anyone who tried to get her, she would growl at unless it was the mother with whom she had had a connection with. In some ways, it seems like she was testing this new family's love for her. Would she still be accepted? Would their love remain constant despite her neurotic behavior? As it turns out, she slowly realized that they did accept her, and they still loved her. And she has become a beloved part of this family with all of her quirks and foibles. What Coco experienced in this home is in some ways an image of God's love for us that gives us true security and comfort. The heart of Christmas is that God's love for all brings lasting change and peace amidst a world that can cease, cause us to be incredibly anxious, especially as the world around us is upset and turned upside down. The Christmas season is an opportunity to reflect and remember the depths of God's love revealed for all. In God's arrival into our world through the birth of Christ, we see how God's love is revealed for all, not just those he calls his children, but for all humanity and indeed for all creation. And through the passages that we heard read this morning, we're going to look at how God's love is revealed in Christ by drawing on two selections from the readings today. In Luke 2, we see how God's love is indeed for all. And in the psalm reading, we see how God's love is for all creation. In last week's message, we reflected on the inspiring response of Mary to the news of her pregnancy in what is known as Mary's Magnificat. In today's passage from Luke's Gospel, we see a little more of the human side of Mary as the mother of a middle school child. You see, during the busiest time of the year, she loses 12-year-old Jesus at the synagogue. It's kind of like losing your child at a Black Friday sale at Best Buy. <laughs> Except you've gone home for a day before you realize that he's not with you, and then it takes you another day to get back to him, and then another day to actually find him. So three days later, they connect with him. And so for parents, if you've ever lost your children, take a deep breath and say, it's okay. If you haven't lost your children for more than 48 hours, and you haven't had to report them missing to the police, then you're doing better than Jesus' parents 
the, son, the parents of the Son of God. But then again, he was the Son of God, so he probably had a little more resources at his disposal. But I digress. Back to the point. If you can identify with the parent of a middle schooler, you'll know the nerve-wracking situation that can be. Out of their love for their son, they frantically search for him, and upon finding him, they see him teaching in a synagogue. And they ask, son, why are you doing this to us? Why are you treating us like this? It's just another way of saying, what gives? Don't you know that you're making me look bad as a parent? Especially when the scene is happening in public? On their surface, their worry and concern appear to be driven by their love for their son, but their reaction and statement show that they are actually more concerned about something else. They, of course, love Jesus, but they also are concerned for what people think of them. Their honor was on the line. And like any frustrated parent that goes ballistic in a public place when their children act up, it's not really about the children anymore at that point, right? And look how Jesus responds. When he asks, when they, he, he answers his question like a seasoned politician on the hill, right? With non-answers. But unlike some politicians on the hill, his non-answers are not meant to evade the question. In fact, his responses are meant to reveal something deeper in the hearts of those asking him the question. So when his parents ask, why are you treating me like this? He responds, well, why are you searching for me? Don't you know that I'm about my, in my father's house? Like, What? Can you imagine if you answered your parents like that? In Jesus, God in the flesh, we see a picture of the breadth of God's love displayed in his answer. It's kind of hidden, but though his response seems to be dismissive of the concerns of his parents, he is demonstrating a larger concern. It's a larger love. It's a love for the whole world and the task that he is going to accomplish through his life on earth. Yes, his parents loved him, or they wouldn't be concerned for him. But Jesus shows a different kind of love. It's a kind of love that we find will not only save his parents from the shame of losing connection with their son for a few days. It's, in fact, a love that will save the world from the deep shame of losing connection with the living God for eternity. As you read further in the life of Jesus, we see how he continues in this larger mission of God's love. We, see, we find Jesus often teaching in other settings in a way that people have never heard before. People walk away from his teaching and his stories realizing that God is concerned for them in, in, in new ways. His teaching wasn't just teaching, though. Often it was accompanied with signs and wonders, like when he walked on water or when he took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 people or when he commanded a lame man to get up and walk or when he opened the blind eyes, eyes of a blind man, or when he healed a woman who had a chronic blood condition for most of her life that not only affected her physically, but affected her socially, because with that physical condition, she was considered unclean by Jewish standards, so she would be excluded. Where there are people ignored by or excluded from wider culture, we see, find that Jesus sees them. He restores them, and he sends them off not only healing them of their infirmities, but also sending them off, declaring them forgiven, something that only God could do. Christmas is a time to remember that when God shows up in our world in the person of Jesus, we see the depths of God's love truly revealed. 
we see that God is not just concerned for those who are faithful and religious. His concern is for those who are far off, for those who are left out, for those who are ignored. And with all the news dominating, uh, all the attention dominating, our news cycle is about walls and, and shutdowns. Christmas is a time to remember that God's love in Christ's arrival is about breaking down walls and bridging differences. In Christ's arrival, it's the posture of the living God to make a relationship with him possible by entering into our mess, not to exclude himself from our mess. When Jesus seems to blow off his parents when they come searching for him, we find that this isn't the action of a rebellious middle schooler spurning the love of his parents. He, in fact, is sharing the love of his heavenly father beyond his earthly family. And where his parents question his concern for them, Jesus widens that concern beyond what they expect and what they know. When Jesus' parents find him, they are overcome with guilt and relief, probably, and in a sense, offense by his callousness towards them. But they miss the sight of their son being about the Heavenly Father's business. Of course, that's understandable because they see him as their 12-year-old son. But on this side of his life, as we know him, we know that Jesus came as Savior of the world and as Lord over the universe. So as we reflect on God's love for us this Christmas revealed in Christ, we might find ourselves at times questioning his love for us, asking questions like his parents did that day. They said, do you really care about me? This is how you would treat me if you really love me? Where have you been? That's not always a fun place to be, but it's a real place. And it's a place that even Jesus' own parents experienced. When God's love doesn't seem to work out the way that we expect it to, it's an opportunity to consider how his love may be at work beyond our immediate situation. Or that his love is being revealed in a deeper part of our hearts than we had ever imagined. And there, perhaps, we will find Christ's love and presence at work in surprising ways. As we consider the depths of how God's love is revealed to us at Christmas, we also think of the breadth of his love revealed in this Christmas season. We open the service today singing, Joy to the world, where heaven and nature sing. Rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy of the arrival of Christ. And we joined in that Psalm 148, declaring, Let them praise his name. For at his command, they were created. Throughout scripture, we see this natural order is a valued part of God's creation. In fact, the created order is called to reflect this magnificent worship of the living God. And throughout the prayer, uh, prayer book of the Jews and the Psalms, as we heard, we see this declarations of creation's worship of God peppered throughout. You know, my family enjoys being outdoors. And last week, we had a chance to discover some new hiking in our city here. As we wander through the woods with the leaves crunching under our, our footsteps, interspersed by muddy, squishy puddles, we arrived at this beautiful viewpoint over the Great Falls of Potomac River. And there's nothing like a view on the top of a mountain or a sunset view at the beach that inspires worship of our Creator God who spoke all of this magnificence into being simply by His Word. But there's also a reality 
that our creation doesn't seem to be teeming with praise. Rather, it seems to be burdened by chaos. Last week, a tsunami and earthquakes in Indonesia, Indonesia have taken the lives of more than 430 people, injured 1,500, and displaced 22,000. Just this fall alone, we heard of the floods in North Carolina, or the campfires in California, or a super typhoon in Hong Kong. The UN released a report last month saying that without unprecedented change in human activity, catastrophic conditions can arrive as early as 2040, just about 20 years from now. Scientists and mental health experts are noting an increase in climate change and anxiety amongst millennials. The world seems to be groaning under the weight of human activity rather than flourishing through its care and stewardship. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Since the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in their mistrust of God in the garden, all creation has been experiencing this. When Adam and Eve took matters into their own hands, humanity's relationship with God, the living God, changed. But also humanity's relationship with the natural order changed as well. Work and food became a struggle. Death and sickness and disease were introduced because of Adam and Eve's sin. Paul writes how all creation is fallen and yearning for redemption in Romans chapter 8. It's up on the screen. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So you see, there is hope for creation to be redeemed. And in fact, this hope lies in human activity as we experience the redemptive power of God in Christ. Creation itself, as Paul says, will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Things can change. And it will be brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. So there's something that God's children experience that creation benefits from. When God's children experience the freedom and glory of God, so too does the created order. When Jesus comes, God's love for all creation is at work as Jesus begins to set right the relationship between humanity and the living God. So we find Christmas isn't just about God's love for his people. It's about God's love for all creation through his people. This means that as we experience Christ's forgiveness and freedom in our lives, we become agents of freedom for the created world around us. We become agents of God's love for, God, for all creation. So this is all kind of ethereal. One way we can reflect, reflect God's love for creation is to consider how we can join in creation's song of worship through meditation and reflection as we enjoy God's creation. Maybe it's taking a walk regularly and noting the natural features of the world we live in. It can be your neighbor's garden or the parkway or the trail by your house. This is what we were doing in Thanksgiving in Connecticut at Lisby's family's house. It can be in your, uh, in your neighborhood. Maybe you just read and listen to psalms like Psalm 148 as, you can, as you're outside considering how this psalm speaks as you prayerfully walk amidst God's creation. 
That's a quiet way of doing that. Maybe a more active way for reflecting God's love for creation is considering how we can steward our resources more wisely. Here are a few things that our family has begun to do or is going to do. I looked up our electrical utility last night. Did you know that in this region, 94% of our electrical energy comes from burning coal, burning natural gas, or uh, nuclear power? More than half of our electrical energy comes from burning fossil fuels, a non-renewable resource. So wise usage of our non-renewable resources can be an act of worship and care for God's creation. In light of that, our family is going to be installing solar energy in our house so we can reduce our carbon footprint by 80%, at least from our electricity in our house. Another commitment our family has made is to reduce uh, unnecessary purchases and reuse items as much as possible. We love going to the thrift store and finding good finds. Did you know that the market for processing recycling has plunged this past year? So much so that many cities around our nation have to pay recycling processing to get rid of the recycling, so they don't actually get money back from it. And so some cities are choosing to dump all the recycling into the landfills. So we can make choices by minimizing the use of non-recyclable plastics like cups and lids and straws and plastic bags by preparing ahead of time. And these are little things that we can do to ease up on the groaning of creation. Okay, enough climbing on this creation care soapbox. You know, the power and motive for Christ followers comes not from being more green or me being more convicted about this. The power and motive comes from being called righteous and forgiven by the living God. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to reveal God's love for us and to us. And so Christmas is a time to remember that in spite of our anxieties, in spite of our immature loves, and in spite of our selfish greed that impacts not only our lives but the world around us, God's love still breaks through it all. And he doesn't give up on us. As we are set right in our relationship with God by putting our trust in Jesus, we find our loves for him are deepened, but also our loves for those around us are deepened. We can be, reflect his love in the way that we live. As we are set right in our relationship with God through Christ, our love for creation is widened. So as 2018 comes to an end, and we consider what's on our horizon for 2019, my prayer is that beholding Christ at Christmas leads you to experiencing God's love deeper and sharing God's love wider to the people around you and to the world around us. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we thank you for your love revealed. We thank you that we can't do anything to earn that love. All we have to do is simply receive it. And as these candles remind us of your, light, your love and your light with us because you cared so deeply for us and for the world around us that you sent your son to show the world what God looks like when he's in our midst that lives change, people are healed, and we are given an amazing resource to love others the way they are meant to be loved. And so this season, would you reveal your love even more to us so that we could reveal your love to those around us? It's in your name we ask these things.
Amen.